Welcome to today's broadcast of Front Porch Talks. I'm Grayson Willis. Thanks for tuning in today. And today we're joined via the phone by Pastor Camelot Schuff. Pastor Camelot, how are you doing today? I am very well. Glad to be here. Well, Pastor Camelot is the lead pastor of Newport News Nazarene Church, but uh, she also used to be a pastor here on staff at Harrisonburg First Church of the Nazarene. Pastor Camelot, just start out telling us about where you're from and a little bit about how you grew up. All right. Well, I'm originally from Greenville, South Carolina, and uh, I was kind of born and bred there, as we say. And I am uh, kind of had a, a little bit of a different growing up than most people. When I was first born, for the first five years of my life, um, I kind of just did like most families. My mom was a single mom for a lot of that. So I would go back and forth to my mom and my dad's house every other weekend. And we also would scratch to try to make ends meet. My mom tells me stories of how I would scrounge around in the back seat of the car to get pennies so that I could maybe buy some candy when we'd go to the store. And that was kind of our way. Uh, we had not a lot, but very happy with the family and, and all the things that we had. We didn't really go to church other than when my dad would take me every other weekend. And that I don't remember too much of. I, I, I hear stories about it, but I don't remember too much. Uh, it was probably about five years old. I had my first memory of my stepfather. Uh, my mother married my stepfather when I was about five. And, and the very first thing that happened is he took me to Disney World. He was a businessman. And I went from not having too much to being in the, the house of a millionaire, billionaire, uh, from time to time, it was billionaire. From time to time, it was millionaire. And so I grew up from age five until age 19, being the daughter of a very wealthy uh, man in town. And we were uh, running through the clubs and doing all kinds of stuff. Um, in my opinion, it was a wonderful time because I got to do a lot of things. I had a lot of great friends and family. But at the same time, it was a very empty time because I was supposed to be living in the life of an American dream, and everybody looked at me as if I had it all, and yet I wasn't really sure what I had because it felt pretty empty inside. And so I went to a Christian school, Episcopalian school in South Carolina, and was very well educated. However, um, somehow or another, I never really got that Jesus had died for me personally. I didn't understand it. And so uh, during that time, I just learned how to read the Bible, and I learned about the Bible, and, and I learned a lot of other things as well. But most of my growing up was rebellious, not religious. And so uh, I was into drugs and alcohol before I was 15 years old, and I was addicted to different things. Uh, when I went off to college, I remember picking my college to make sure I had a streamline of uh, substances coming my way, and I picked uh, Lynchburg, Virginia to be the place which I didn't know at the time was the place where Jerry Falwell dwelt. <laughs> and um, there was a lot of Christian activity there. And so God was setting me up uh, for an encounter with him. And so I went off to school when I was 18 years old, and I started dating a local. Uh, we called him just a local, I guess you'd say. started dating a local by the name of Sam. And uh, he and I were dating and, and on the drug scene together, and he kind of was helping me find things I wanted at the time. And, um, and it wasn't long after that, my mom found out I was dating a local and not a college guy. 
and he was beneath us, at least uh, in the whole scheme of things, in her opinion. And so we had a little bit of a difference of opinion at that point, and I was disowned. So I found myself on the street, I guess, per se. I moved into a single wide trailer, which I'd not, I'd lived in before when I was young, but I'd never really remembered what the inside of a single wide trailer looked like. So right there on Lakeside Drive in Lynchburg, Virginia, I was in a trailer park for about a year doing exactly what I thought I wanted to do, free from parents and rules and everything else. And things just got emptier and emptier. And so um, I guess it was about uh, in the summer of the year, I guess it was 1994, that summer. And we invited a bunch of people over to the trailer to party. And there was a gentleman came in, and he wanted to discuss the Bible and how the whole world was going to church on the wrong day. And they were confused, but he had the answer. And I said, okay, well, let's sit down and we'll pass this thing around the room, uh, not the Bible, the other stuff, and we'll discuss these things. And so we talked about it and we debated and debated and debated and we, we didn't get anywhere, except that he got so um, out of his mind that night, he ended up leaving that Bible on the counter and when he left. And um, the next morning I woke up after everybody was gone and my boyfriend was at work. And I looked at that Bible and I thought, you know, I looked at that Bible many years in school. And I remember Genesis and Exodus and, Revel, you know, all of these different uh, books of the Bible. But I just started wondering, I wonder if there's an end to that book. I wonder if there's like a final chapter, a, a finishing mark, you know, like all the crime novels that I was reading at the time. And um, so I picked it up and I read Revelation. And I was so convicted. Um, I've never been able to understand Revelation the way I understood it that day. All I know, it was crystal clear in my mind that Jesus Christ was coming back again to get his own, and I was not one of them. Mm. And so I called my boyfriend on the phone, and I said, Sam, you've got to come home right now because Jesus is coming back. <laughs> well, he thought I'd lost my rockers. He didn't know what in the world was going on. <laughs> so he rushed home for lunch, and I think he even took the rest of the day off. And, and he came home, and I was so concerned about this encounter with Jesus that and he said, well, we probably should go to church. I said, yeah, I think that would be a good idea. Well, as, as we tend to do, I, we made a plan to go to church, but we never actually made it to church for another month, which, you know, I guess it was pressing, but not that pressing. So we went to church, and we, we had no clue. And if you've ever been to Lynchburg, Virginia, there is a church on every corner, but we never saw any of them. It was just not in my routine. I didn't see them. I knew where the restaurants were. I had no clue that there was a church on every corner. So we went to the only church we thought was in Lynchburg, Virginia, and that was Jerry Falwell's church on September 18, 1994. We walked in, and they ushered us to the front because I think we looked like we needed to be right up front and center. And Jerry Falwell was there preaching that day. And uh, he preached on something else. I've since gotten a recording of it, uh, and I'll tell you that in a minute. But uh, what I heard that day was anybody who is – out of their minds with drugs and alcohol, living an empty life, wanting to encounter the one who loves you more than you could ever imagine and who died for you, come forward. And I remember standing up to the Just As I Am uh, the song. About the third verse, my boyfriend leaned over. He said, well, do you want to go up there? I said, well, I guess we could. And he said, okay, well, let's go. So we slid out of the, the line there, and we went forward, and the guy uh, met us there at the front and led us both in the, the sinner's prayer at the back. and 
And we never went back to Jerry Falwell's church, but, boy, the Jesus that we met that day has been with us ever since. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just I'm just grateful for a, a service that would go and, and offer us Jesus right there. No strings attached, just Jesus. Yeah. And so um, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. Um, so you were saved. Um, and from what I remember of your story, and we've talked about it many times, but I just remember that you were saved pretty instantaneously from the drugs and the alcohol. Yes. Uh, that was not <laughs> something that you fought for years, but it was like the Lord just took that away from you. Yeah, it was uh, my boyfriend and I both that day. People showed up at the trailer to party that night, and we were like, yeah, so about that. Um, we don't have any of that stuff anymore, nor do we need it. We have something better if you're interested. And we were delivered that day um, from drugs and alcohol addiction. And, um, yeah, so we have a very different story than some. Some have to struggle through that whole thing, but not us. The Lord really saved us and set us free. Yeah. Uh, That's awesome. Yeah. Mm. Amen. <laughs> so how – so you all were saved, um, and then you ended up in Harrisonburg. But what did that look like as you journeyed after you were saved, and all of a sudden you find yourself um, moving to Harrisonburg? What transpired in those years? So really, what ended up happening is, you know, we were in Lynchburg at the time, but we had a very different life, and so the Lord um, on the way home convicted us of a few things and uh on the way home my boyfriend proposed to me and uh we were going to go to the justice of the peace but ended up getting married that next saturday so i get to celebrate uh my wedding anniversary six days after my rebirth anniversary you know every year and so we've been married a long time now (laughs) and so anyways but we um we were married and within a year and a half of living there and just getting involved in church and and learning to serve with joy you know, I remember I had such a high, you know, you would call it the high in the old mm-hmm. way, the drug way, but it was a different, it was just such a joy in the Lord. And mm-hmm. I even had more joy. I know a lot of people talk about losing their joy after about a year being saved or whatever it is, they kind of go into a routine. But I'm going to tell you, when I started serving the Lord with my whole heart, it's where I just, you know, the joy just returned and, and it's mm-hmm. just a, a beautiful way. So we ended up moving after my daughter turned about six months old. We moved to to Greenville, back to Greenville, because I needed to get to know my biological father. I didn't really have too much to do with him throughout the years, uh, my teenage years especially, because he was a Christian, (laughs) you know, but I wasn't, and we didn't have a whole lot in common. So I got to know him over about, probably about a five-year period, and um, lived in South Carolina with him. And then the Lord just started stirring within me. I started to see a little bit of things in the church that I wasn't too happy about, I saw people in leadership that their lives didn't line up with what Jesus was calling us to do. And and I didn't want to be judgmental, so I pressed on. But I just started praying in my heart and in my soul, Lord, can we just try and find somewhere that they're at least trying to do what you've commanded us to do? Mm -hmm. And um, over a year's time after I started praying that prayer, we traveled to Harrisonburg, actually to Massanutten, to visit my brother. On the way home after Christmas that year, my husband and I were talking, and, and we said, you know, We've been talking about maybe relocating, and could it be that this is where the Lord would have us to go? And we just had such an affirmation in our spirit at that moment that mm-hmm. we literally, within about a month or two, quit our jobs and moved up to Massanutten. Uh, we moved wow. in with his brother, and, and my husband went out and got a job right away. It took me a little bit longer than that. But um, we moved in with him, 
and uh, for five months built our house that we uh, began to build in Mass Mountain there. And it took about a year, I think, to get us over to a Nazarene church. I didn't know what Nazarene was. I thought it was a cult. <laughs> I thought, I don't even know what this kind of church is. I know Baptist. I know Methodist, but I don't know what this is. And we tried to go to some other denominations that we were more familiar with, but the Lord wouldn't have it. I mean, I, I felt like we were invisible in those places. And uh, it took a few people. We bought a van from a man, and he said, oh, you need to go to the Nazarene church. And then we, you know, I met, that's when I met you about that same time, Pastor uh-huh. Hardy. You weren't a pastor right. at the time. That's right. But, but I stopped you. You were part of the interview team that interviewed me at the hospital. And that's I right. stopped you as we were walking out because I knew the Lord was with you. And I said, so what church do you go to? And you told me, and I thought, okay, well, maybe maybe we'll have some affirmation there. Mm-hmm. So ended up going to the Church of the Nazarene and fell in love with the doctrine because it lined up with my life. I remember Pastor Kerry doing those the membership classes and how he would do the, the life story in a picture form. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to tell you, it lined up with my life. And I just, you know, it just so affirmed in me um, that this is where I was supposed to be. Yeah. So, yeah. Just uh, before we get too much ahead, and Pastor Kimmel might come back to this when she talks about her call into ministry, but you were talking about that day there at uh, Jerry Falwell's church, and not really remembering at the time what he spoke on, but then being given a tape later. Would you like to share, after you went back and listened to that tape of the day, you and uh, your boyfriend, who's now your husband now, Sam, uh, what Pastor Falwell was preaching on that Sunday when you and uh, Sam went up to the altar to receive Christ. Well, I'm kind of glad that I didn't know that day what he was preaching on. All I heard was what the Lord wanted me to hear. But I think the Lord has such a sense of humor. I'll back up to a little bit of time when I was in Greenville, South Carolina. And I remember we were in a house that we had just built there. And I was so upset because, see, I had a plan for my life. I was going to have six children. They were going to be stair steps down every two years, and I was going to be the most perfect Christian mother this world had ever seen. That was kind of my plan. You know, I'm a little bit type A if you hadn't picked up on that. And so I, I didn't understand why the Lord wouldn't give me that. That seemed like the best thing for me, according to me, you, you know. And so I remember I was so upset. A year after my daughter was born, I was pregnant again, and I lost that child. And I kind of was sad about it, but I wasn't too sad because I was too concentrated on getting pregnant again because the plan was every two years, and I only had a few, a little window. So I didn't have time to be sad about it. So five years went by before I could get pregnant again. And after five years, my daughter was, was six years old. And, and I remember thinking, well, she yeah, she was about six years old. And I remember thinking, this is it. I finally can get pregnant, and we can start this plan. And I lost that baby, too. And uh, I was declared infertile, and I was so mad at God. I was so mad at him because the plan for my life, he wasn't getting with the program. And I, I couldn't understand why he was giving all the – everybody else I knew, he was giving babies. And I didn't understand why me. I've loved babies since the day I was born. I just loved them. And he wouldn't give me any more. And so I was very upset. And I remember after about three months of being very, very upset with him, he spoke to me one morning, and he said, so are you going to walk by faith or by sight? Mm. And that day I just broke down, and I was in my bathroom at the time, and I just broke down and fell to the floor weeping because I finally understood he didn't want my plan. He wanted my life. Mm. And so on my husband and I's 20th anniversary, I went back to the Jerry Falwell film team. They had just started filming in the year of 1994, and they didn't put those things live yet. They were practicing. 
it's interesting because it, when I pulled the tape, I ordered the tape from them, and they sent me a DVD of it, uh, of the recording. And um, they didn't know that they needed to move the camera. So we have two or three up-close shots of me and Sam <laughs> right there. I mean, the camera was right there beside us and doing up-close shots. The first one was of us laughing. The second one, we were under such conviction, you could see the blood had run from our face. And um, and then I listened to the message, the entire message. Um, and the message was simple message and pretty clear. Jerry Falwell was given a, uh, an invitation for couples who would like to go into full-time ministry. <laughs> I didn't know that I was responding to a, an invitation for couples to go into full-time ministry, but apparently the Lord held me to it because we went forward that day. It just so happened we were a little earlier on the journey than most of the couples that went forward that day. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> so I guess God can start anywhere with that answer. And yeah. so, uh where you were, and he knew the plan. Um, yes, he did. <laughs> it's amazing how we were able to get peeks back into what was really happening. That's exactly. Really powerful. Exactly. <laughs> so you were here from your own staff, and I want to get to at least where you are now. I know that you're on staff yeah. here in Newport News, and you're not just on staff, you're the lead pastor. Can you tell us what's something that's happening today that would encourage um, those that are listening today to believe that God is who he says he is. <laughs> well, actually, I can tell you something just fresh this morning. You know, God knows exactly where you are. And if you don't believe that, just start praying and asking him to show you and reveal that to you. We've been praying at the church for quite some time for an instrumentalist. We don't have a lot of instruments. It is a smaller church, different context. But we're at the place where we're ready to add that. And so we've been praying for the God of the harvest to send laborers. And he always answers that prayer. If you need to pray for something in the mission, pray for him to send laborers. He always answers this prayer. And that was a challenge, I think. He loves to do it. And he likes to do it in the most unique and wonderful ways. So anyway, the call two Sundays ago, there's a young lady. She's 24 years old. She walks in. She's from Russia. And she studied in Roskov. And I didn't know this. I've had a couple of conversations with her. But come to find out, I was talking with Scott Rainey, who's the SDMI uh, Global Ministry Director. And he, uh, I was in a meeting in Kansas City not long ago with him. Got to meet him, get to know his story. He was a missionary to the Ukraine before he came to Kansas City. And he knew uh, all of the pastors and those in Russia, uh, you know, over the last few years. And so when she came to the church, I immediately texted him and said, hey, do you know Katie? Do you know her pastor, Pastor Pavel? And, and he responded, yes, I know pastor and I know this. And so we've kind of gone through the passing pictures and, oh, yes, I recognize. And so I just got a text this morning from the DS of North Russia. <laughs> and he said, oh, yes, please take care of Katie. I know her well. She will be a blessing to you. She studied piano at some of the great schools in Russia, and she studied with Luna, who is another pianist there at the Moscow Church of the Nazarene. And so it's just a beautiful picture how, God, we started praying for a laborer probably three months ago. She got on the ground here two months ago, and we just now found our way to meet each other. And so we're working with her to integrate her into the worship uh, area of the church. But, you know, God, he has no limits. He has no boundaries. Anything that you're asking for, it might take a couple months to get to you because it's coming from around the world, but his ear is attentive 
to those who cry out to him. And so that's just one answer of the many things that God is doing. You know, you actually had shared that with me earlier today. And after that, I was in conversation with a young girl who's really struggling with, you know, just some hard issues and concerned about uh, some of her siblings. And um, she was really in high anxiety. And I said, you know, God knows where they are and he cares. You know, he knows where we are. He knows where you are. And um, no sooner had I, you told me the story that I picked her up and I was able to share that story with her this morning and tell her that God does not lose sight of us, nor will he lose sight of her family. And if you could have seen the peace that passes all understanding come over And uh, (laughs) thank you for, you know, wanting to share that with me right away this morning because God is in the details of our lives. And for those listening, he is very aware of where we are, whether it seems like it or not, and he cares deeply. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Pastor Kenwa, uh if you don't mind, uh, I mentioned at the beginning of the broadcast that you're the lead pastor at uh, Newport News Church of the Nazarene, and uh, Pastor Margaret also alluded that you were on staff here at Harrisonburg First Church of the Nazarene, and we talked a little bit about when you first came to Christ, but just talk about when you um, that you actually realized it, not just uh, going up and accepting Christ, not realizing what the message was, but speak about uh, when God really started to call you into ministry for full-time ministry. So I was, you know, it's funny, God was trying to get me to hear him for a long time. I remember walking into a church in Greenville, and I walked up to somebody in the church one night, and I said, I, I feel like the Lord is calling me into full-time ministry. I, I, you know, I had just spoken at an event, and it was just kind of a devotional thing, but it was like, that's where I belong. It's like, you know, he just so affirmed it in my heart, and I went up and I asked them, and they said, well, you don't really want to be a secretary all your life, do you? And I'm like, well, I guess it's like that's the only thing I can be in the church, then I don't know what it means. And so I kind of put it to the side. I don't think they meant anything by it, but, you know, they just couldn't see that a woman could be a pastor or a full-time ministry other than in a support role, and, and I'm fine with a support role, but I didn't, it just didn't make sense to me at the time, so I just pushed it to the side. Well, when I came to the Church of the Nazarene in Harrisonburg, I remember my daughter in children's church, and immediately I started to support and serve. We rested for a few months just to kind of get integrated into the church, but I started serving in children's church uh, mainly, and Pastor Vic Bright uh, was there, and he was phenomenal, and I was just taking it in. It was it was awesome to serve in children's church because you can just sit there and take it in, and it's just fresh stories again told in a new way uh, from the Old Testament and the New Testament. But as he started you know, interacting with me, he asked me to do a little tidbit of like a five-minute sermonette on Sunday mornings. After I did that, he came up to me. I was standing at the front glass doors of the church, and he caught me as I was leaving. And he said, Cammie, I just need to ask you something. Are you sure that you are not called to the ministry? And I'm like, well, it's funny you should say that. So he's the one that kind of first said, are you sure? You know, and so I started praying about it at that moment, and I still had some theology to get straight. But with a prayer of just kind of asking the Lord to show me, I went forward with obeying really the invitation uh, to be a local pastor there by Vic and others on staff at the time. And it it was a long process uh, of theology reforming and classes. It was long, I guess, not in years necessarily, but it was long in, like, the journey that I made from where I was spiritually 
to the doctrine. I didn't understand holiness in the way that the Lord really wanted me to. And so it's a beautiful understanding of who God is. I had such a a legalistic idea of sin, and I had such a legalistic idea of the Christian life, and this way of holiness so freed me from religion and from what I thought a type A check-off-the-box Christianity was supposed to be. And so I'm just glad. I think that's, you know, I've heard Pastor Kerry say this before. I think that's the reason God called me because he he, needed, he knew I needed extra special attention <laughs> to be able to understand what he was trying to say to me. So um, I'm grateful for that. And I served as a ch- uh, associate children's pastor for a long time there, and I don't even know the years. And then I served as ministry team pastor at one point and, you know, given my life away. And I, I guess it was a few years into that role that I started waking up in the morning and I had this thought that the Lord just kind of put in front of me that there's no Church of the Nazarene in Williamsburg. And I didn't know what it meant, so I took it to Pastor Carey, my pastor, and uh, I said, I don't know what this means. And he said, well, I think we probably need to pray about this. And he's the one that kind of walked me through uh, that process of transition, which is probably one of the hardest processes as I've talked to other pastors to know that the Lord is uprooting you in a place that you love with people that you love and putting you where he wants you, that is a heart-wrenching process. And so whenever anybody's going through it, I always have such a heart for them because it's a place where you don't really understand where you are or how you think or what you're feeling. You know, you just know that you're being obedient, and that's all you know. So it was difficult, but the Lord gets glory, and that's what we want. And so you keep calling me the lead pastor. I learned something from Pastor Kerry. And I immediately put it into action here in Newport News. I'm not the lead pastor. I'm the vision pastor. It helped me to stay in my lane, (laughs) you know. And so that's my title here. And the people are like, what are you talking about? I said, you don't have to understand it. I understand it. And so. (laughs) I understand that I'm going to say vision. (laughs) That's exactly right. That's exactly right. You know, something something just occurs to me. As I listen to people's stories, I always look for a thread that I can pull on throughout their lives. And I look at your life, and as you were talking about the hard transition it was here, and I remember it well. Um, it was painful, and I can't imagine what it was like for you. But I look back over your life, and there is something that has happened to you consistently over your life, and you have been uprooted and moved into very different situations, from poverty to riches to poverty, probably to poverty to poverty to poverty, however, (laughs) you know, um, but it's a rich life that God has given you. You have the joy of the Lord, and you have a family that you love and loves you, and you all have remained a family unit. And I see how God prepared you with big transitions. He showed you some things about having teenagers. And you have loved your family well. And I'm grateful to have been able just over the years to witness your life in many different contexts when you were being squeezed and when we were having fun, you know. There were times that it was really difficult. There were times we laughed a lot. And we still, we still have difficult times and we still laugh a lot. It's a great relationship. But I see, God's, I see God's faithfulness to you and to Sam and to your family. And 
I'm grateful that in his divine uh, wisdom, he allowed the tapestry of our lives to overlap and uh, and some areas that we didn't even talk about, which was before this church was ever, you know, before we were ever on yes. that. That's mm-hmm. right. That's right. Amen. Amen. I just remember moments that, well, they just jump into my mind. One of them is a, a hundred or two hundred pennies in our hands as we pull up to a toll booth we didn't know was coming. I just remember moments like that. We were on ministry. We had no clue where we were going, but we got there somehow. And the yes, grace of God did. has been there. And I'm just yes. grateful, and I'm just grateful for all of the, the things. And I think there'll be toll booths in heaven just for us. Yes, just right. So we can reminisce. <laughs> yes, I think Jesus will make a way uh, for us then, too. <laughs> that's right. Amen. Amen. Oh, wow. Thank you for joining Pastor Margaret and I on Front Porch Talks today. It's been a joy to have you and hearing your testimony. And, uh, I know, sorry I called you lead pastor, not bishop. Pastor, but that remind me, Dad got that from the scripture verse that said, where there is no vision, the people perish. And also, I think it gave him an opportunity to explain to people what vision pastor meant. So, uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Grayson. God bless you. I love both of you. I love you, too. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of Front Porch Talks. We pray that Pastor Camelot Shaw's testimony has been a half hour of hope for your life. And God bless. Front Porch Talks is sponsored by Harrisonburg First Church of the Nazarene in partnership with Sunshine Ministries.